Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is a farmer-led podcast, the Farm's Voice podcast. So thank you for tuning in. For those that farm it, service it, or just outright love it, we bring you the techniques and technologies you need to motivate and implement into your day to improve it one way or another. Make sure you share the Farm's Vice to make another Farmer's Day. Welcome back to the Farm's Vice podcast. This is the fourth episode and I think the 90th episode we've ever had on here. As we jump back into APEN Network and all about the APEN Conference for 2022. It has passed now. It was online on the 9th to the 11th of February. But... What we got out of it was a lot of information that we can come away with, some insights into what's happening with the extensionists across the country and also across the globe as well. There was some really good speakers on there. I had I actually got a lot out of it myself and also great to be partnered with APEN, the Australasian Pacific Extension Network for the podcast to get this information distributed to you as a farmer, someone that serves the industry or just someone that purely loves it. As we say, so if you farm it, service it or you just love it, this episode is for you. So today on the episode, we talk to Noel Ainsworth. Noel's career has involved a number of management, extension research and consulting roles in agriculture, natural resource management and the environment. Noel and John have sought out to identify which key elements separate an engaging meeting so he really knows how to keep it engaging and I'm sure you'll find out more throughout this episode. So let's get into it and chat to Noel who's come on into the online studio. Noel Ainsworth, how are you today? Fantastic. Look, great to, great to have a chat to you today, Jack. 
amazing to have you on the show and get your expertise on. Where are you calling in from today? Uh, today, I'm based out of Brisbane, um, like many people working from home, but um, yeah, really thinking about uh, maintaining that communication with clients. So um, yeah, that, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm here today about. Well, the world of 2021 and 2022 made it that much easier. I talk with farmers all the time and I think in 2010, trying to get a farmer on Zoom would near be impossible, but today it's easy as. Yeah, look, it's 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 a lot better for, for some people, yeah. um, but certainly the last couple of years, we've seen a little bit of fatigue with that as well. Yeah, um, true. A bit of novelty at the start and, and when it's really important and, and yeah, we're really targeted with who we need to contact on a meeting, Zoom can be fantastic um, along with you know, the, other, the other platforms. Yeah, absolutely. And just to get it started, and it also allows yourself and I to have this conversation about your experience, background, and also about the APEN conference coming up around the corner. Let's get into it and see what your background is, your connection to Australian agriculture. Yeah, certainly I've been working in agriculture probably uh, most of my career, uh, that and sort of natural resource management, which is pr- fairly typical, I guess. I've worked in, in a number of the states um, in a number of industries. So, yeah, I've, I've, um, I've got a, a real feel for that as well as a, a family background in agriculture. Amazing. And what do you feel about agriculture in 2020, how far it's come since you've worked in it, do you think? <sighs> I guess I still have the same basic sort of... Um, that I'm impressed by people who can who yep. can make a living out of the soil and the and the sunlight and a bit of water, um, but certainly agriculture is a lot more sophisticated now, and there's a, a lot more uh, technical now that that a lot of very professional people have. Yeah, absolutely. And moving into 2022, seeing a huge shift into digital agriculture and using more technologies, but also a huge transfer of assets is just around the corner from baby boomers and even older down to generations like myself and a bit younger. So it is exciting time to be in it. Yeah, look, there's there's certainly the, the scale of change and the range of opportunities out there are, are incredible and, and that connection across the world with, with uh, products and technologies is incredible. Absolutely. And let's, let's get into your role. What's your current role at the moment? Your... For APEN, you're the South, Southern Queensland Coordinator. Talk to us a little bit about that and what that means to you and the APEN network. So I guess APEN always wants to keep very close to its members, both in terms of communicating to them, but also facilitating communication between members, I guess. Yep. So um, as a coordinator for Southern Queensland, I, I try to keep connection between the, the 70-odd members in, in my area. Um, we've done that previously with a, a range of initiatives like um, book clubs and various things just to have that, that conversation, you know, between conferences and, and all the other uh, media like, you know, the newsletters and all the rest of it. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess I, I try to play that, that active communication role as, as one of the support roles I offer just as a volunteer. Yeah, it's pretty vital. And it, I suppose it is a bit rewarding working within a network and seeing how all the cogs turn, and especially from your background of dealing with supply chains across Australia and across the world. Yeah, I guess from from both perspectives. I mean, in terms of APEN members, there's a, yep. a lot of you know very 
experienced and, and some less experienced people out there who've got great ideas and initiatives, especially during this, this time of disruption that they've been trying. And one of the key things is making sure we, we form connections to share those ideas and lessons and discuss the pros and cons of these things because it's, it's, it's a great opportunity. And unfortunately, um, many extensionists don't work in big teams. They're working by themselves or in groups of two or three. And APEN provides that opportunity to connect with, with others with, with similar sort of interests and backgrounds. So it's, it's, that, it's that great sort of network which we're trying to build upon. Yeah, I think you really need that diversity at the moment just to get those new ideas and poke them out of people to see what they can come up with and see how we can improve farmers right through from the farm gate into the end consumer and how we can really improve the products but also the quality of that right the way through. So let's talk about your role. You've mostly working within horticulture, getting the products to the end consumer, to the retail. Yeah, so I work with um, mainly exporters. So sometimes they're they're just exporters and some of them are both growers, packers and exporters. Um, But um, exporters are a very competitive bunch. You know, they're, they're really looking to se- secure the best price they can in, you know, whether they're sending products through to uh, the UAE or, or up into uh, South Korea or into China. So, you know, we're, we're certainly uh, dealing with some distant clients who are probably a little bit hard to connect physically over the last couple of years. So certainly the, the digital space has been a, a great opportunity to, to make those connections and maintain those relationships, which which is a big part of business. Do you think a little bit of the relationship has broken down because pandemic and a bit constrained to staying in our home country? I, I guess I do. I, I think that's probably has been reduced a bit. I mean, the, the face-to-face connections at um, trade shows through Asia have been always an important part of, of most exporters' relationship building. And certainly that's that's... I guess I refer to that as the bank accounts being drawn down a bit over the last year or two. We've, we've sort yeah. of worked on what we'd built up before that. And, and even within Australia, you know, the, the, the ability to, to simply travel down between Brisbane and Melbourne um, on a routine basis just to keep those relationships and connections fresh and, and trusting has been a little bit more difficult. But certainly the visual capacity of, of things like Zoom have, have really been important for that. Yeah, definitely. And allowing that produce to come through and maintain that quality right the way through. So going through your notes before, I read that the quality of fruit within the supply chain, how how did this change in the pandemic and by improving that right the way through? Yeah, well, certainly, I mean, the, the, the quality of product when it leaves the farm is often as, as good as it will get at that point. And there's recommended conditions by which, you know, you're supposed to send, you know, whether you're talking about lychees or avocados or mangoes or grapes, um, they each have their own set of uh, unique conditions by which they should be transported. Now, in every supply chain, there's 101 compromises that are made. And most of the time, it's to get that product there on time. And with the pandemic and with disruptions to um, transport arrangements certainly there's been the risk of of more disruptions to that or more compromises and i guess a lot of the work i'm involved with is making sure that um, as few compromises happen as possible to make sure we we offer the buyer of that product the longest shelf life product possible 
to generate um, the returns that they'd, they'd like to achieve. And because, you know, each, each retailer has got their own ideas about how to best market that product. And of course, at the moment, as we look at Lunar New Year just around the corner, that's a really big, big item on the agenda for a, a lot of people around the world. And, you know, I'm sure the Chileans with their cherries are thinking very much about that at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the most fragile product produce that you do deal with? Oh, I, I think one of the, the um, awards will go to lychees. They, they yeah. are very, very precarious. But, but certainly there's, some, there's a lot of products like uh, lychees and, I say, strawberries. You're just trying to keep them cool and in those high humidity conditions as much as possible, and they won't deteriorate much. But then there's a range of products that you put into the supply chain. And if you give them the whiff of the wrong conditions, and that's you know things like bananas, avocados, mangoes, they'll actually start to ripen on the way to the market. Yep. And so sometimes you can get a problem with that, that the product's arriving too forward, too ripe for them then to sell properly, or there's a mixture of ripeness within a, a, a load and, a, and the whole lot has to be sorted then to separate the ripe from the unripe. So there's, there's a few different sorts of product and, and yeah, they all, they all have their, their um, strengths and weaknesses, I guess. Yeah, right. And then the other side of that, what's the easiest one? That would be citrus to keep the quality right the way through? Some of the ones that are almost guaranteed a nice smooth ride are those ones which, um, like citrus and grapes, Yep. often have treatment protocols. So they're, you know, especially product from the East Coast where they're treating for, uh, for Queensland fruit fly. Um, one of the disinfestation treatments they have to undergo on the way to market is they have to be at a certain temperature for a certain period of time to, to ensure that there's, there's no survival of, of, of any um, um, insect larvae or anything like that. So that means they're going into shipping containers at set temperatures and that's a really nice stable environment rather than um, other sea containers which aren't regulated in terms of their temperature or stuff that's sent over on sea on sorry on air freight where you know you can get quite um, dramatic differences in temperatures as it goes through those supply chains and and then it depends on whether there's uh, pets in the hold as to what temperature the fruit are at so there's a whole lot of factors going on there absolutely there's a huge amount of variables. Uh, taking place once you send it off the farm and to keep that quality right the way through. I imagine it is a bit of a heartache, a bit of stress on you trying to follow that right the way through and keep the other end happy. Yeah, look, I mean, ex exporters um, have to take into a whole lot of considerations when they're, when they're working with stuff. Some, some exporters will set the price at the start of a season and stick the, with that the whole way through, and they might set that price based on the US dollar. So you can even get shifts in the dollar through the season, which can either work in your favour or against you. So, you know, there's a whole range of factors, not just about what happens with each consignment, which may, may be sourced from a different block on a different farm and have slightly different characteristics. Yeah, righto. So for at the moment, what's the pricing looking like? Because there's a bit of an oversupply of mangoes. You'd buy them for nearly $1.70 sometimes at our local supermarkets, what and how has this played out for exporting as well? Um, mangoes have been doing fairly well in exports. I mean, yep. one of the, the biggest challenges has been that they've traditionally probably 90% um, of mango exports in the past have gone by air freight and we still haven't got that. Um, and of course, 
air freight means largely in the hold of passenger uh, flights. Really now, with with the lack of, um, with the and with the exception of probably a few more freighters that leave out of Sydney, but most of the um, mango freight that goes overseas is in passenger um, airlines. So that's been a bit difficult the last couple of years. Of course, we haven't had the volume of of air traffic that we we have in the past. So uh, there's been a bit a bit of restriction on 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 that sort of opportunity. So there's been a bit more sea freight being used. But again, in the sea freight world, the the demand on containers has been something that's been very difficult. And there's been a lot of very disrupted um, sea freight supply chains as well. So, but with all that said, um, it's never a, a bad thing if the price is under pressure in Australia because it means that the price comparison between here and Singapore is is there's 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 no real difference. So there's a, there's often a better opportunity for export when the price is a little bit uh, depressed in Australia. Yeah. Okay. So when you're flying produce with the passenger planes, is it because flying a cargo plane full of fruit produce, it's not quite worth it as, as it is as splitting the plane up to people and also produce? No, no. It's just that there's um, space available. Yeah, there's okay. that many planes yep. and they never fill the hold with just the luggage. And there's always opportunity to get um, product, whether it's uh, fruit and veg or meat or seafood, there's always opportunity to put um, product in them. And the other change, of course, is that we're, we've seen a bit of a move away from the wide-bodied to the narrow-bodied um, aircraft, which has uh, put a little bit more pressure because that means you're only using the containers that go in the holds are the, the smaller AKE type rather than the yep. big, big broader PMCs that go in the wide-bodied craft. Yeah, great. I didn't even think about that, like going on a plane myself. I haven't seen a load of mangoes or anything coming in. I'm one of those nerdy people who, um, when, when I'm getting onto a plane to sort of follow product across, I'm always watching them loading the plane and, and putting the product in underneath uh, where all the passengers go. So, yeah, it's um, it's yeah, there. I, I try to always get their window seat, but I can't quite catch those mangoes <laughs> each time they come in. But anyway, yeah, no. and also another note in yours was expanding business for the supply chains, exporters, but also for farmers finding new markets for their produce to go to. How has this worked out in the pandemic and also on the tail end, fingers crossed, coming out of it? Well, I'll probably use um, avocados as an example. Um, Up until the pandemic, we saw very small quantities of avocados going from Australia into, say, Singapore, uh, Malaysia, Hong Kong. when we got the pandemic come in, we and that was largely going in air freight. Uh, when the pandemic arrived, uh, because of the lack of air freight capacity, we saw a real drop off in exports. But now as we're emerging out of the pandemic, uh, we're starting to see flights coming back on. But we've also seen at the same time, a real change in the volume of product hitting the Australian market. So the prices come back, you'll, 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 certainly see that avocados are a lot cheaper this year and have been for about a year now than they have been in the past, which means it's a much more attractive thing. So we're seeing probably a, oh, I'd probably say a four to five fold increase in the volume of um, yeah. avocados being looked at for exports. And certainly uh, this summer, it's, it's a very hot topic for those who are uh, producing and supplying at the moment, which of course are the West Australian growers. And very, and for them, they're very interested in the uh, Japanese market as well as supplying 
uh, Hong Kong, and of course the traditional markets of of Malaysia and Singapore. So yeah, there's been some certain certainly some growth in that area, um, and that's that's really prompted by the comparison between the the price in Australia and what what happens over there, and and it also influences the attractiveness of Australia as an importing destination. So of course we've always had probably twenty percent of our avocados come in from New Zealand. Um, we've even seen some small amounts come in from Chile in the last year or two. Um, and we've we've just seen some even some frozen product coming in from Vietnam this year. So the international um, price is is a very important factor in 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 what just happens there because of course, you know Australian growers aren't fools. they're they're looking for the the best return they possibly can get for their business, and whether that's domestic or export. And of course, this year, there's a much greater mix of, of both going on than there has been in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And talking on the farmers looking for premium dollars paid for their produce, is Australia still really seen in that in the high standard of producing quality food and the safety measures that are around it with the pay that we have and everything like that? Yeah, look, Australia still does retain a, a very strong reputational benefit. It's, yep. it's it's seen as the the place where you don't have to really be assured that you're looking after workers. So you know you, you'll hear you know, you you'll hardly see a say a banana sold in 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 um, England that isn't fair trade because it's all coming from South America. But they're not really looking for that same assurance of 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 workers' rights from Australia because they know that's part of it. And the same with um, some of the environmental credentials credentials, you know, both Australia and New Zealand are seen as this sort of clean and green uh, source of, of food. And that's been important during the pandemic as people have sought out, you know, really healthy and and, and safe options. Um, so they're not necessarily looking for for something that's got a, a, a Rainforest Alliance accreditation on it because it, we've already got that reputation. And we also back that up by, by really always targeting the top end of the market. So you know, if, if you're sending product into into Singapore, it's it's not unusual for a store there to supply fruit from three or four different countries at three or four different prices, yep. and that's because they're at different levels of quality, um, and they're often used for different purposes as well. So you know, they're pretty savvy. The shoppers, you know, they they know what they're looking for. So you know, if if you're, for instance, buying an, an avocado and you want to put it into a, and this is quite common in, in Singapore, if you want to use it for a, a milkshake. Um, with um, avocado and chocolate and a lot of sugar syrup, it's not as important to get the highest grade avocado because you can hardly taste it with, with yeah. all the other additives. But if you're using it for a, a salad or a, a specialty dish and you really want to be able to taste that real nutty and creaminess, you know, you'll, you'll often see the buyers selecting uh, fruit from either Australia, <coughs> New Zealand or probably California have, have got those reputations for really good quality. Yeah, okay. So, but it's also a bit of a benefit that they can, they want the lower grade somewhere else and they also want the premium grade. So if you do have an offie as a farmer, you know that you do have a market that you can go to, maybe reduction in your price, but you can get it off. Oh, look, certainly uh, most of those buyers are looking for fruit at, at all grades yep. uh, for different purposes. So yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's not just about, about one grade in it and then it depends on on price and making sure we can get the, the lesser grade product there at the right price. That, that's sometimes a challenge. And sometimes that means instead of 
having it fancied up in a nice pretty box, it might be in a, in a bulk container or something like that to, to keep those costs down. Yeah, absolutely. So when exporting, how much is frozen and how much is fresh? Do you know? Uh, virtually none is frozen. Uh, it's, okay. it's mostly mostly just all fresh. Um, yeah, look, once you start talking about a, a frozen product, it, it becomes like a, a sort of a stored product and you, you, you don't achieve the seasonal benefit of getting it there at that time yeah um it's like you know it's like something that's either uh, if something's frozen it's like something that's uh, dried or or you know other sort of forms of processing where it, um, you really have to be competitive then against a, a lot of other suppliers where it's where it's it doesn't have that limited life yeah definitely so for yourself and dealing with your clients products coming through every day and each day how are the supply chains improving under such pressure of what 2020 brought on with the pandemic? I mean, I guess that's one of the, the sweet sort of elements of technology that we've been able to look at the last few years. Uh, we've focused on um, doing a lot more monitoring of consignment so that we don't have to be there uh, digging through the cool rooms or the trucks on arrival. We can actually uh, put in effectively what are temporary mobile phones in with the product to monitor live temperature and location and humidity and light levels with the consignment and, and basically look that information up on our phone. We can track that and we can then feed that information into predictive models to then get an idea of um, the impact of on shelf life of the product. So we've got some, some really fantastic tools, both in terms of sensors and in terms of uh, technologies to, to really make some better decisions about that product in that supply chain live yeah that sounds pretty great to have as like livestock and broad acre cropping a lot of remote monitoring works really well so it's similar to what you guys are doing how how many tons or just one ton half a ton per sensor roughly is it or one sensor can do a plane um, it depends on what we're doing. If we're doing, obviously, if we're doing uh, monitoring of uh, sea containers, whether it's a 20 or a 40 footer, yep. um, often you only need one or, or maybe two sensors in that. There's, there's, there's not much variation within those containers once you understand the sort of circulation patterns that are likely to be happening. Um, in air freight, um, yeah, we're dealing with much smaller amounts. So it's really uh, one sensor per container. So it, it may only be sort of one sensor per ton or something like that. But in a, a sea container, it, it, it's, it's much more, of course. You know, it's more like one sensor per uh, 10 to 20 ton. Yeah, great stuff. And also, like, that's allowing, like, with the shelves being empty around the world, not these latest ones, but people sort of panic buying. Has that put added pressure onto you dealing with the exporters and everyone's sort of flustering where can we get our produce from and sort of try and solidify their products? Um, strangely enough, the, I mean, the supply of fruit and veggies around the world, I mean, there have been some supply issues, but most of the time there haven't been dramatic shortages or issues uh, like we've seen with uh, toilet paper or, or, or sometimes uh, now the meat um, because we're seeing it coming from such a diverse range of sources um, we, we aren't sort of seeing that because I guess the, the difficulty is we've, you know, in things like meat, we've, we've seen a, the sort of the gatekeepers of that are the abattoirs, of course, where you've got so many suppliers coming through just a few abattoirs. And if you get 
uh, labor issues there, it affects the then the, the whole lot of retail stores. But I guess the the fortune of of having product coming from, I mean, in the case of avocados, we've got 900 suppliers supplying that for Australia. So it's a fairly diverse group. Not that they're all supplying at one time, but it, that that diversity offers resilience to the industry, I guess, and 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 also for exports. Yeah, amazing. So it's pretty cool to hear much more like in depth to what you do and get up to. What's one thing that you don't think a listener would know about your role in exporting into Asia, UAE? I'm certainly, I've, I've found it interesting to sort of work with retailers in overseas markets and do training with them. So we sort of help retailers design displays in stores to help um, grow their markets, understand yep. what their consumers are after and actually talk to consumers through the stores and then do training of, of those produce managers is always a very rewarding part because, I mean, we, we, you know, we sell avocados, for instance, into Malaysia and I've done training there and I've asked the produce managers and I'd have 50 produce managers in a, in a training session. I'll say, well, how many of you have ever eaten an avocado? And only one of them had ever eaten one and yet they were selling them. And I was saying, look, so then we had a session where they actually tried avocado for the very first time in their lives just to taste what it's like in combination with different sorts of food. So with nachos or with salads and with yep. various things. And then we started talking about the flavors and, and, and what they're looking for from, um, from the fruit. So it was, it's just interesting to sort of really start from that, that, that first step of understanding what you're selling and then working out how to do the best job you can to, to increase your throughput. And, and we've done work with some stores where we increase their throughput by 80% over three month periods um, across, you know, 20 stores, you know, and I, I think working from that, that understanding perspective really paid off. Absolutely. And trying to just, it's quite rewarding seeing this happen down on the ground level with those where they're buying the end produce so the consumers can take it up, take it home as well. So, and it's also cool that they're being educated on what actually the product is, um, for the avocado, as you said before. Mm. Yeah, no, it's it's always something different, always something interesting. So it's it's always and just asking questions to understand where people are coming from. That's it. And always something happening in supply chains. People need produce right across the world. And there's a lot of things happening. It's a buzzing area of agriculture where I think a lot of people don't know where those opportunities are when they think of agriculture directly. Um, mm. So it's a great avenue to have a think about as well. So, but let's get back into APEN and a little around it. What is extension and how important is it to you and your role? A lot of people will have a, a different sort of interpretation about what extension is, but, but I guess my view is that it's about helping people move through a change and make sure that change really works for them in the long term. So, I mean, whether that's some of the work I was involved with recently with mango exporters, helping them adopt um, some of this live um, temperature monitoring and export consignments or, or a whole range of other things, whether it's about sustainability or, or new tech or, or efficiencies or, or new tech. It's, 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 I guess, it's working with people to understand where they're at, what barriers they have and how to, to overcome those to, to deliver a, a better result for that business. Yeah, absolutely. And we're in a very, in a, 
as I said before, huge transition, huge time for change within agriculture of people adopting new technologies, but also techniques. You don't actually have to go out there and buy something, but finding new knowledge or resource where you can get a new technique that might improve your daily routine as a farmer, but as an exporter, retailer as well. Yeah, certainly there's a, there's a whole range of, of tech and change happening. And, you know, certainly one of the big ones, of course, which you'll hear a lot about in horticulture is, is people talking about um, new robotics and including harvesting. Um, it's, it's a big cost. It's a big risk uh, when you can't get labour. So certainly there's, there's some fantastic changes happening and, and not the least of which is in, in packing sheds. You know, I, I see a, a lot of fantastic new tech being implemented there to really make sure there's a, a more efficient, low-cost result achieved for the grower. Absolutely. I think you need, as a grower, if you have a packing shed or that's where you're processing it, you sort of need to think about how much your labour costs and how much you'd be able to take out from that if you're not being able to find labour to introduce technology to improve yourself. It's not getting rid of the worker, but it's actually improving the whole supply chain and how that can work for you. So the outlay may cost a lot more and it might be a bit scarier, but in the end, it will be a lot better for your farm. Yeah, look, certainly in a number of industries now, we've certainly seen, you know, the, the tech roll in and, and sometimes that means that not every grower has their own cool rooms and packing shed anymore. Uh, there used to be sort of small, simple setups, but you know I've certainly seen a number of in in the avocado industry. I, I see sheds now where they're set up and they think, okay, look, it's going to cost me this amount, and and some growers will go for that, and some won't. They'll think, okay, I can just pack down the road with with someone else, and I won't have to make the that extra capital outlay, because you know once you're talking about some of these sheds that pro, that process a million trays of fruit, um, that means you'll need a robotic um, tray device to actually sort of um, automatically glue the tray. So it, it spits out a new tray that's glued to an exact temperature to exact specifications every two seconds. Those sort of technologies aren't within everyone's grasp. And, and, and also, you know, the, the vision systems to, to look at the internal qualities of fruit as it passes through the pack shed to guarantee you're not, you're not sending you know, ordinary fruit down the line. Yeah, these these are very worthwhile investments, but but quite capital intensive. So, you know, not everyone has that has that ability to invest in that, and that's that's probably a good thing for the industry long term that we're seeing a little bit of rationalisation of that. Yep. But you're also seeing some smart people who are setting up um, multiple farms now across the country, of course, and what they do is they'll move some of that machinery and gear from one district to the next as one harvest. It uses it and then it moves it on to the next district to use it there. So, yeah, there's some really, really clever stuff going on. Absolutely. And within the industry, there's always going to be those early adopters that want to bring on the products and see how they can work for them. And those that sit back a little bit more hesitant about how it will fit in to their daily routine. Yeah. And look, sometimes there's, there's competing technologies and ideas about how things might pan out. So, you know, Sometimes it, it works and sometimes it doesn't. So, you know, that, that's always the case, I think. And I think since I started, there's always been people who are, who are those real innovators who want to keep in front of that curve, who want to sort of be, be taking advantage of that and being able to sort of say to their buyers, they've got this, this extra um, value add that they, they offer. 
and that's fine. That's 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 part of business. Yeah, one hundred percent. So for yourself, Noel, what are you most looking forward to about APEN in twenty twenty two? Um, well, I guess one of the first opportunities is the fact that we've got our conference coming up on the 10th and 11th, and that's 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 a great opportunity. Unfortunately, I'll, I'll be one of those virtual participants, so I won't be able to travel to Melbourne for that, but I'm really looking forward to uh, that exchange of ideas. I, I think there's there must be something like about um, 100 presentations going on from uh, people like myself just to sort of share ideas and experiences. And I'll be trawling through both some of the live presentations, be it virtually, or some of the recorded ones that I'll, I'll, I'll look through and, and catch up on as well, just to uh, look at that and then connect with, with particularly some of those authors and, and those contributors during the conference um, through the, the platform that's being set up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and some great hands-on masterclasses that will be available down there as it goes ahead. I'm really looking forward to it as a podcast and as a farmer, just to see what's happening in this side of agriculture and see how it can be distributed through the podcast and hopefully in the end, help a few farmers with some new ideas. Oh, look, and, and I've already had a look at through some, some of the topics that I saw a draft program just uh, today and some fantastic ideas there. I'm really looking forward to it. 100%. So for yourself, what are you most excited about 2022 other than APEN? Um, we're getting into a, a, a whole range of um, video production on one of the projects I work on, which is is coming along. We, we just put, on a, put out our first one um, just around Christmas time, and there's another uh, five on the way. So that'll, that'll be a, a bit of an exciting time to see where that comes, uh, comes along. And um, we've got a a couple of other projects just emerging at the moment. I'm sort of talking with some, so over some of the concepts with uh, some of the the growers and the, the funders about that. So yeah, there's there's always a a rebirth of ideas and excitement with the new year, a bit of new business development. So that's that's nothing but exciting that one. So absolutely fresh face and going straight straight into it and having a go. For... Well, that's also also new partners, new ideas, yeah. you know, new new collaborators. It's yeah, it's always exciting to do that. You know, without without leaving those those people you've you've um, sought help from in the past, you don't want to leave them in the dust. But it's you know, new new partners and ideas are always fantastic to to really bring you a new perspective. Absolutely, and a, a great motivator to keep going. Talking to people like yourself on the podcast, it's really good to see that there is some vibrance and key thinkers out there that are wanting to move the industry ahead. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm always inspired by everyone I meet on that. It's um, it's fantastic. Absolutely. And before you go, what would be one piece of farm's advice for anyone looking to get into your side of agricultural exporting? Um, the work in, in supply chains, um, it's, it's all about relationships. Um, you know, getting, listening to people, finding out where they're at um, and, and trying to work with them to, to really deliver on, on some of those, those dreams and aspirations they have to, to really push their businesses ahead. That's, and, and that can take a hundred different forms. And so every day is exciting on that front. Absolutely. Well, amazing to have you on the Farms Wise podcast today, Noel, all part of the APEN conference. Thanks for tuning in to a Farms Advice episode. Go to farmsvice.com.au for more information and spread the word. 
If you love this episode, give it a sneaky five-star review on Apple Podcasts so we can reach more farmers right across Australia. But until then, next Tuesday, keep on farming. Because you've listened right to the end of this episode, I'd love to give you a treat. Come on and join the Farmers Only Mailbag to receive exclusive content, but also a pretty consistent newsletter. It's not only a newsletter, it's the Farmers Only Mailbag. So we're doing something a little bit different with Farms Advice, so subscribe at farmsadvice.com.au. 